You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Good morning. This is your first Sunday. The reason we play that video is just to point out to you that you cannot believe everything you see and hear, howbeit even on television. A lot of times we think television gives instant integrity to stuff. does not. It uh, can allow you to be misled rather easily a lot of times. And we'll talk more about that really some in, uh, in the message this morning. Uh, a couple of things I want to do really before we jump into the message. Uh, one, uh, David, if you would stand. David Scheidel is with us today. And uh, I, I want to thank the Lord for keeping David safe through his heart attack. And let's give the Lord credit through that. And uh, also, uh, I, I tell you, everyone that went on the mission trip that's here, I don't know if everyone's here, but if you went on the mission trip uh, this past week, would you all just kind of quickly come and stand up here at the front uh, real quick? And uh, Got everybody but Ken, is that right? Oh, well, there's Ken. Ken's invisible today. Okay. Um, I hope you all prayed for them. I know we prayed last week in the service, so I wanted them to come up here and, and let them know that they were prayed for uh, last week as they were away from us. I don't know if any of you kept up with what was taking place uh, kind of through Facebook, a site that was set up. Uh, I read and cried more than once. Uh, about the ministry that was taking place. Uh, one village that they pulled up to that was near a dump and uh, you know, fed a couple of scoops of spaghetti to children on Wednesday. Uh, as far as they knew, those children probably would not have anything to eat until Friday when they would return and, uh, and feed them again. Uh, that's not all they did. They did all, you know, all kinds of uh, different ministry while they were there. Uh, we will plan a time that you'll hear more about that. But uh, I, I wanted you just to see who went for sure. And I want to thank uh, Brad and Brandy through their UTH ministry for taking these on the mission trip. And, and I'm telling you, you know, if you still want to give toward that trip, please do so. Uh, right now, you know, the trip is, is a great deal uh, of expense still for UTH ministries, for Brad and Brandy. Uh, and I hope you'll pray about giving to that. But, uh, and, and something else I, I want to mention, even while they're up here, because it kind of goes hand in hand. I started reading a book uh, yesterday, I bought it Friday, called Radical by David Platt. If you have not read this, you need to buy it. Uh, every Christian in America ought to read chapter one if they don't read anything else. And uh, this almost destroyed me last night as I read it, as I read chapter one, and you compare what the church in other places of the world faces versus the church in America. And uh, almost makes me want to tell the church in America we need to tear everything down and start from scratch, to be honest with you. Uh, it's available at Lifeway, $10. I'm not trying to advertise for them. Uh, I may actually ask our leadership team to spend about $1,000 and maybe buy about 100 copies and just give it to you. I don't know. But uh, I, I was just broken by, by reading chapter 1. Uh, last night of anything that I've read in a long, long time. 
So much so when I sat down to do my Bible reading, I decided to start studying back over in the New Testament and just reading the words of Jesus and what he had to say. And so much so when I read my Bible last night, it was just like it was fresh to me. And I read the Bible a lot, guys, but it was like it was fresh to me as I looked at some of it. So uh, thank you guys for going. And, uh, you know, please, we'll plan a time about sharing. But uh, let, let's give, you know, not just them, but the Lord a hand again for, for what they did. Some of you don't know that's my wife, and I have to let her talk when she wants to talk. <laughs> and that's not true. I mean, that's true of any of you also. But, uh, Today we're finishing up a series on doctrine. Uh, we've been talking about what we should believe. Doctrine in, in the, the Western Dictionary basically means this. It means rules or principles that form the basis of belief, theory, or policy, ideas taught as truth. So, so for us as Christians, those of us that are Christians, that means we need to base what we teach is truth on the Bible because that is our truth. And, and that's why in this series we've taken these, these nine weeks to focus upon what the Bible says in some very important strategic topics and areas. We, uh, during, this, during this series, it might have been kind of intensive for you because I've thrown a lot of verses your way, more so than normal. In, in our sermons. Um, it might have been intensive for your backside <laughs> because these messages have been longer than some in order to deal with what God had, had laid upon my heart. It's been pretty intensive for me and pretty uh, invasive in my schedule as we've looked at these things, but it's necessary. And I don't want you to, to think just because today we are coming at a conclusion to a series called Doctrine, that that means you need to quit thinking about doctrine because 
Every time I do a message or every time you sit in a small group Bible study or every time you read the Bible for yourself, you need to be thinking about doctrine. You need to be thinking about what is truth and what God is teaching to you and how to apply it to your life. And you also need to be fully aware that even though we've taken nine weeks to talk about doctrine, that might have been the tip of the iceberg. There is no way we exhausted what doctrine in the Bible is all about. All I did was try and take some logical progression by starting with God because that's where you have to begin. Because God has no beginning. That's why we looked at the Trinity. And from there, we looked at the Bible, God's revelation, because that's where our doctrine comes from. So we need to understand that we believe this. And we understand it has authority for our lives. From there, we talked about the creation. And then the fall of man, we talked about sin. Then we talked about predestination, how God didn't give up on us even though we're sinners. And the incarnation, how God became flesh and went to the cross to die for our sins. Because if we didn't have the incarnation, the cross wouldn't matter if Jesus were not God in the flesh. From there, we talked about the crucifixion. And how Jesus could be the only one that's the ultimate, once and for all, perfect sacrifice for our sins. Then last week, we talked about the mission of the church. What should we be about? What should we do in light of what He's done for us? Today, we're going to wrap up this series by talking about the kingdom of God. What is the kingdom of God? And it's a really important question because some of you, if, if maybe you don't have an erroneous view, some of you might have a limited view of what the kingdom really means. Because sometimes we just think the kingdom of God means that, well, somewhere out in the future, there God is on his throne. And that is true, but that's a limited view of what the kingdom of God is really all about. Jesus said this as he was teaching the disciples how to pray in Matthew. Look at this verse. Your kingdom come. This is what we ought to pray, our desire. Your kingdom come. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Think about that. Is there any iota of time in God's kingdom in heaven that his will is not being done? And the answer is what? No. So we are to desire and pray for and long for His will to be so done on the earth. For His kingdom to be so expressed upon the earth. And that's just kind of a send-off for us for us today as we will we'll look and ask about four questions today about what is meant by the kingdom of God. See, it is true that one day He will ultimately reign. One day... He will be upon his throne. One day he will have total reign. There will be no one that will ever oppose his will. There will not be any type of evil force, whether demonic or human, that can stand against his will. There is coming a time when we will have fully restored all that was lost in Eden to where we have face-to-face fellowship with a God that loves us for all eternity. All of that is part of his kingdom. But to help us get a a deeper understanding 
the kingdom of God and understanding of the kingdom of God, let's ask ourselves four main questions today. Question number one simply deals with our topic. What is the kingdom of God? Because I said some people have a partial view, but maybe not a full view. I don't even know if any of us can have the full view. So what is the kingdom of God? I mean, it is heaven, and a lot of times that's how we perceive or think about the kingdom of God. We think about it in terms just of heaven. It is heaven, but it's more than that. You've heard of the millennial reign, Jesus coming to reign upon the, the earth, you know, for a thousand years, literal reign. And we think of that being the kingdom of God. That is part of the kingdom of God, but that's not all of it. It's more than that. The kingdom of God is a redeemed people. In other words, all of us who've been redeemed from our sins by trusting Christ as our Savior, we are part of the kingdom of God, but it is more than just that. The Bible teaches about a time when a new heaven and a new earth will be brought to bear and all the old will pass away. And that is a picture of the kingdom of God. But at the same time, it's more than that. We view the kingdom of God maybe just as God seated on his throne. And that is true, but it's more than that. Look at this paragraph that might give us... uh, uh, hopefully maybe a a good start in looking at what the kingdom of God is. Basically, the kingdom of God is the full result of God's mission to rescue and renew His sin-marred creation. The kingdom of God is about the Father through Jesus the Son completely establishing His rule and reign over all creation. Absolutely defeating demonic and human evil powers, bringing perfect order to all creation, enacting total justice, and being eternally worshipped as Lord. All that gives us a little bit of a fuller picture as to what is meant by the kingdom of God. To help us understand it even, even deeper, let's look at some false views to begin with, and then we'll look at some biblical views. But here's some false views of the kingdom of God. False view number one is this. The kingdom of God is not people sitting on white clouds playing harps for all eternity. I mean, a lot of times that's a picture that we get in culture. A baby sitting on a white cloud wearing diapers. I don't know wearing diapers for all eternity would be fun. You? I don't think I'd want to play a harp for all eternity. Maybe a Gibson Les Paul through a hand-wired tube amp or something might get me along the ways a little bit. I told you I'd say something you'd like, Philip. And having wings too small to transport us anywhere fun. I, that's kind of the picture we get a lot of times of what heaven or the kingdom of God might be. But I'm telling you, that's not enough for me. The kingdom of God is not the pipe dream of liberalism. To where through education and refinement and sufficient time, sin and all of its effects will be eradicated from the earth and kind of a new utopia is ushered in. That's kind of a leftover idea from the age of Aquarius maybe. But to be honest with you, we don't have sufficient time to ratify ourselves. And if the human race could do that, it would already have happened. That's not what the kingdom of Heaven is about. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. 
We can't just educate or refine ourselves. I don't know if you've noticed the education system's in trouble in America. Have you noticed that? And it's not just, I'm not just saying maybe things being taught. I'm talking about even it, it, it being funded right now. I told you last week the church doesn't need to get too political. What I'm about to say is not Republican or Democrat, either one. Do you realize you've already been paying a one-cent tax, and if they would just leave it there, teachers wouldn't have to be fired next year? To me, it just makes sense to leave a one-cent tax there and keep the teachers. We might ought to let people know that. The kingdom of God is not the deceptive dream of a divine spark. Where everyone's got this little divine spark in them, and all we need to do is nurture it or fan it a little bit until we are self-aware of our own divinity. See, that's what some people actually teach. Everybody's got a divine spark. All we need to do is fan it a little bit and get it to glow until we understand really who we are. Can I tell you where the divine spark comes from? It comes from the flame of hell. That's where that divine spark comes from. Because there's no way possible for us to do that. The Bible says there's no one good, not one. The Bible says all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says all of our goodness or all of our righteousness, plural, is like a nasty rag before God. The kingdom of God is not a political pipe dream of electing the right leaders and by doing so ushering in a day of world peace. I mean, the Bible tells us there will be wars and rumors of wars until the Prince of Peace comes. The only thing that's going to bring peace to this world is a king on his throne, and election's not going to do it. The only thing the mentality of an election is going to do is put an antichrist out in power. That's where that mentality comes from. False views of what the kingdom of God is about. The kingdom of God, and we'll talk, this, uh, talk a little bit about this in detail in just a moment, but the kingdom of God is not something fully realized now. In other words, it's already completely here. Because if that's our mentality, that the kingdom of God is fully realized, then that means that everyone has plenty of health, wealth, and absence of strife in life. And while you will hear that proclaimed, even in the video that we had up, you know, the, the pastor was there smiling, confident, telling you that if you're right with God, you'll have plenty of money, plenty of health, complete freedom, you know, from all the pressures of life and everything like that. That is not, you know, one day, thank God, that'll be true. But the kingdom of God is not fully realized now. If it were, that would mean that you have plenty of health. I did this Friday to hand my mother something. My back went out, and I've still got a muscle that's tight right here right now. If the if kingdom of God was fully arrived right now, my back wouldn't feel like it does. If the kingdom of God was fully realized right now, you wouldn't be worried about some bills that you have. It's not fully realized now. That's a deception that is being proclaimed in our world. The kingdom of God is also not the universalist, erroneous doctrine of everyone goes to heaven. That's what universalists believe, that somehow everybody makes it to heaven. But that is not what the Bible teaches. And while sometimes I will tell you about a good book you ought to buy and read, it's kind of rare I'll tell you about a book you shouldn't buy or even call a pastor by name that wrote it, but I feel like I have to this time. Because there's a book that's been written 
by a pastor of one of the largest churches in America entitled Love Wins. And his, his name is Rob Bell. See, the reason, the reason this universalist doctrine of everyone going to heaven is not true, listen to what Jesus says here in Matthew chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate. Now, Jesus is speaking. I'm assuming he knows what he's talking about. Do, you think so? Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. So basically, Jesus said this, the many are on their way to destruction, so the universalist doctrine of everybody goes to heaven can't be true because Jesus just denied it. And yet Rob Bell in his book entitled Love Wins, and Rob Bell, he's done a lot of good work. I'm not trying to, you know, put him down and shoot at him for everything that he's ever done. But he's changed or morphed in this last book that he's written. And in Love Wins, he comes around to the point that he says in the book that love wins so much so where Jesus went to the cross that everybody goes to heaven. That is not what the Bible teaches. And like I said, it's rare when I call someone out and say, that's a book you don't want to read, and here's a person who wrote it, but I have to do it because you do not need to be misled by that type of doctrine. That is not the kingdom of God. Everybody does not just go to heaven. So what are some biblical views of the kingdom of God? First of all, the kingdom of God for believers is a present journey and... An ultimate destination. Here's what I mean by that. If you are a Christian right now, the present journey that you're on in your life is part of God's kingdom. God saved you to serve Him. God saved you to do kingdom work. And right now, presently, as we live our lives as believers, that is part of the kingdom of God. It's part of the present journey that we're in. But it is also the ultimate destination to where we arrive one day, to where all evil is completely vanquished and put down. Jesus, total victorious, realize that, see it, perceive it, Him on the throne forever and ever. That is the ultimate destination for us as believers. But you need to understand it's both. Because if you just think it's out in the future, you're going to miss doing kingdom work now. The kingdom of God is a current rescue mission in a broken world and a perfect outcome revealed in the new heaven and the new earth to come. Right now, God has a rescue mission taking place that we need to be part of. We need to be part of trying to win people to the kingdom of God, reach people for the Lord Jesus Christ that died on the cross for our sins and for their sins. It's a rescue mission that we're to be about. But it also is a perfect outcome. One day in the future, new heaven, new earth, perfect for all eternity. Biblical views of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is also this. The kingdom of God has already started, but not yet finished. And you'll understand that more as we look at these two other items that I've I've put on the screen. What I mean by that. When the kingdom of God is viewed as already finished, as though it's already totally complete. That tends to result 
And people have an overly realized eschatology. Now, we've been studying doctrine. What did I tell you eschatology means? The study of last times, the end times. So if we have a view that the kingdom of God is completely already finished, that leads people to ignore the current presence and the power of sin and to naively believe that they can now fully enjoy health, wealth, and total victory over all negative influences in their life. I'm telling you guys, I wish to God that were true, but it's not. The kingdom of God is not fully realized yet. We're talking about it being finalized, complete. Because if we would be honest with ourselves, there is the presence of sin and the power of sin that is still rampant in our world. We still have to deal with negative influences in our life. We are not in a trouble-free utopia that people would want you to believe that you're in because their view is the kingdom is already completely finished. When the kingdom of God is viewed only as realized in the future, that tends to result in an under-realized eschatology to where sin is viewed as too powerful for us to overcome. And kind of with a defeatist mentality, the church exercises little hope or enthusiasm for evangelism or missions, or opposing injustice, or sin in our culture. Because we're thinking, it's all out there. The kingdom of God one day will take place. But man, right now, we're just in trouble, so we better just withdraw into our shell because sin is just beating us up. See, both of those views are wrong. The the truth of the matter is this. The truth is the kingdom of God is started, and if you're a believer, you're part of it right now. But it's not fully realized, so we can't afford to ignore the realities of the struggles of sin right now in this life. We cannot be naive and just pretend it's not taking place. The truth is the kingdom of God is active now. And we don't need just to push it off in the future and say, well, thank God one day. It needs to be thank God now in this day. We need to be actively engaged to be a part of the kingdom of God. And not think the culture is so bad we just can't change it. I can't change it. You can't change it. But Jesus can. And it's his kingdom. And we're servants of him. We're citizens of his kingdom. And we ought to be challenging this culture with the gospel of Jesus. See, there needs to be a biblical balance in our view of the kingdom of God. God doesn't want us to be naive as if the kingdom has already fully arrived. That's a naive, very naive outlook. But God doesn't want us to be hopeless as though the kingdom of God has no power now because it does have power now. We're looking at biblical views of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is made up of the followers of Christ. That's why I'm saying it's not just God out there on His throne someday. You and I, as the followers of Christ, you who know Christ as your Savior, you are part of God's kingdom. And God desires to use the followers of Christ, them. God desires to use us, who are the followers of Christ, to expand His kingdom right now. Look what's said in 1 Peter. But you are a chosen race. Some of you may not feel like this is true of you, but if you're a Christian, God says this is true of you. 
You are a chosen race. God chose you to himself. You're a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. We as believers right now are part of the kingdom of God. But here's what we're supposed to do. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, here's the deal. Being part of the kingdom of God does not mean once a week you come to church and you find a place to sit down and you sing a little bit and you meet some of your friends and you listen to a lesson out of the Bible and you go home and you kind of put your Bible up and you engage in your own life and you don't think about the kingdom of God or Jesus until the next time you go and sit in a pew or a chair. We are to be proclaiming the excellency of the one that saved us out of darkness. We're part of his kingdom now. This is the work that we have to do. We are to proclaim him, how great he is, how excellent he is, what he has done for us. We have a message as citizens of the kingdom of God right now. We have a message that says, Emmanuel, God with us. We have a message that says he lived a perfect sinless life and he went to the cross as our only hope, our only sacrifice and fully paid for our sins. We have a message that the relationship with Holy God that is ruptured by sin has been restored through what Jesus did for us on the cross. We have a message that there is a king who sits on a throne and he will rule and he'll reign forever and ever. We have a message to tell other people about. We're part of the kingdom now and God wants us to use us to expand his kingdom. The kingdom of God is also this. The kingdom of God in a simple definition, it might help us just to do a word study about what kingdom means. The word in the Greek for kingdom means royalty, rule, a realm, a kingdom, a reign. The first root word that is built upon gives us the notion or the idea of a foundation of power, a sovereignty, a king. The most basic root word that the word kingdom is built upon in the Greek means this. It means to walk. It means a pace or the foot. In other words, you might can say this. The kingdom of God is wherever God walks and reigns upon. Now, I'm not saying that he's not in full power now. Don't misunderstand me. He's the ultimate power of all the universe. He is in authority now. But what I'm talking about is where his kingdom reign is. What is underneath his rule. So the most basic way of us understanding what the kingdom means might just be this. To say that God reigns. Wherever God reigns is his kingdom. I mean, the verse we started with. Your kingdom, there in Matthew, look at the verse again. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Wherever he reigns, whatever he is over, whatever's been brought underneath his authority, that is part of his kingdom. God reigns in heaven. Yes, that's true. And that's part of his kingdom. If God is reigning in your heart, you are part of his kingdom. Your heart is part of his throne, his kingdom. God invades the lostness of this world through the gospel of Jesus one life at a time. And as that happens, one life at a time, his kingdom is expanded and God rules and reigns over more. When that new heaven and new earth, when his kingdom will be fully complete and Jesus reigns over all things for all time, that is his kingdom. At that point in time, all will be brought underneath his authority. And that is then when all will be under the kingdom reign of God. That's why I'm saying don't push it off till then, though, because you right now as a believer, if he reigns in your heart, you're part of the kingdom of God. If God has walked into your life, the word meant walk or a step or a foot, and God is standing in your life, right now he is to be in charge and to reign over your life. Our problem comes with allowing him to do it, doesn't it? For us to step back and really allow him to have full reign over our heart. Full reign on the throne of our heart. See, it's not this, and I'll probably come back to this right near the end if I remember to. But I'm afraid a lot of us think that God reigning, Jesus reigning in our heart, is us having this nice little theological compact box to where we say, I know Jesus is in my heart. It's one thing to know he's there. It's another thing to let him reign over your life. We need to give him full access to our hearts, full access to our lives, full access to our families. God help us full access to the church that he bought with his own shed blood and allow his kingdom rule to be active in our lives. God's kingdom is also this. The kingdom of God is ultimately realized in God reigning over all of his fully restored creation. Romans 8 in verse 19 through 23 speaks to this a a great deal. It says, for the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. Here's what that means. All of creation can't wait to see what we're going to look like when we appear with Jesus. When you read it in the Greek, it gives the idea of all of creation standing on tiptoes, longing to see us as we ultimately will be when Jesus has completely transformed us and we return to rule and reign with him. All of creation wants to see it. You want to know why? Keep reading. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. When Adam sinned, remember what happened? All of creation fell underneath the curse. And all of creation is now substandard. It's not what God meant for it to be. So all of creation, not just believers, creation is literally longing for us to be ultimately what we are supposed to be. So creation itself will be set free and be fully restored to what God intended creation to be. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. 
It's like creation is pregnant, wanting to give birth to what it's supposed to be. And it's groaning with those pains. And not only this, but also we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Not only is creation longing to be under the full reign of Jesus Christ and to see exactly what creation and all was meant to be, you and I as Christians, we ought to be longing in ourselves to see that happen to where we are completely, totally, exactly like Jesus, as the Bible says, that we will be. When he appears, we'll be like him. And when that occurs, that gives us a picture of what the full reign kingdom of God is. Revelation chapter 1 says this, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood, and he has made us to be a kingdom, priest to his God, and Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and forever. Amen. You see, ultimately the kingdom of God will be realized as we worship Him, the one who loves us and released us from our sins by His blood. And one day we will see His glory and His dominion forever and ever. That's ultimately what the kingdom of God is. But that's not all that it is. The kingdom of God is now. You and I, as the followers of Christ, Serving Him. If we have a kingdom, then who's the king? And I'm being elementary of this kind of intentionally because you never know, you know, who, who understands these things and who doesn't. So if, if God has a kingdom, the kingdom of God, who's the king? Let's look at some scriptures and see. The scepters will not depart from Judah. That talks about, a, a, you know, a scepter talks about rule or authority. Nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, a prophecy of Jesus as the king to come. And Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and endowed with salvation, humble and mounted on a donkey, even a colt in the foal of a donkey. It was prophesied, Your king will come like this. And that's exactly what happened. Because we find... In the next passage of Scripture in John, on the next day, the large crowd who had come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took the branches of the palm trees and went out to meet him and began to shout, Hosanna, which basically means save now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Even, notice this, the King of Israel. Jesus finding a young donkey, sit on it as it is written. Fear not, daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. Next passage tells us this. They did it to make fun of him, but in doing so, they told the truth. Above his head, they put up the charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the king of the Jews. The Bible also tells us this. He who overcomes, Jesus says, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, where king sits, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And then this, these will wage war against the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them, because he is Lord of lords and king of kings, and those who are with him are the called and the chosen and the faithful. 
Then Revelation 19, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Who is it? Who's the King of the Kingdom? His name is Jesus. He's the one that will reign for all eternity. God has a kingdom that he's building now through believers. Ultimately, it will be that kingdom when Jesus sits on the throne and he rules and he reigns forever and ever. If you have a king and a kingdom, that means you have citizens of that kingdom. So who are they? Who are the citizens of the kingdom? That's our next question. Look at these verses in Ephesians. So then you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints. And are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. Who are the citizens of the kingdom? Believers are. If you know Christ is your Savior, you are a citizen today of the kingdom of heaven. How did it happen? How do you get there? Here's how you become a citizen. Look at the verses that lead up to this. Earlier in Ephesians 2, and you were dead in trespasses and sins. You see, we don't like that. Because we like to think there's some goodness that we have or something that we've done ourselves or something that makes us worthy for God to invite us into heaven one day. The truth of the matter is you were dead. I was dead. We were dead in trespasses and sin without any hope. There's no way we could get in by ourselves. You were dead in trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, talking about Satan of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too formerly, this is the way we used to be, lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as the rest. Aren't you glad it doesn't stop there? To be honest with you, you ought to be able to read the next two words and you'd be happy and us go home. But God, but God. Kenneth Ridings, who's kind of like a mentor for me a, a good bit. Kenneth, uh, loved to hear Kenneth preach. Uh, Kenneth's come down with Alzheimer's and uh, it doesn't, you know, I know that's a struggle for him now. He used to be the president of uh, Fruitland Bible uh, Institute. Kenneth years ago was at a camp meeting, large camp meeting that they have in Mississippi every summer. And Kenneth was reading this text, and he got down to but God. <laughs> and he just camped there for a few minutes and just kept reading but God. Finally, a fellow in the choir got happy, jumped over the rail, ran out of the place. Some people think, man, that was crazy. But that guy went out and led four people to Jesus that night. But God... Even though we were dead in trespasses and sin, but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, put his own son on a cross. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, we did not deserve it. 
He made us alive together with Christ. And then it tells us this. By grace you've been saved. Grace means the unmerited favor of God. Grace means there's not one thing you can do or I can do to merit ourselves going to heaven. It is completely on the fact that we don't deserve it. We can't earn it. But God in His abundant grace offers us to be part of His kingdom. It goes on and says this. And raised us up with Him and seated us. Notice that's past tense. You see, God is so sure that you and I as believers are going to be seated with Jesus in heaven. He says it here as though it's already happened. He seated us with Him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the ages to come, we might show the surpassing riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, once again, God's unmerited favor, you've been saved through faith, not by works. It's through faith, through God's grace. And that not of yourselves, you can't wisp it up, you can't earn it, you can't manufacture it. It's the gift of God not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. Verse 10, by the way, tells us what citizens ought to do. I've already told you this. Being a citizen of the kingdom of heaven is not once in a while reading your Bible, once in a while going to church. In thinking you fulfilled your civic, heavenly citizenship duty by doing that. As citizens of God's kingdom, He has good works. Back up, please. He has good works which He prepared beforehand so that we can walk in them. Not in order that we might be saved, but because we're saved. What you and I ought to do as citizens of the kingdom is serve the king. He has planned in advance things for me to do. He has planned in advance things for you to do. And he wants us to walk in them. That means being a citizen means we're actively engaged. We're involved in the kingdom of God. Lastly, What happens to those who are not the citizens of God's kingdom? You might be thinking, man, that's a bummer. He's going to talk about this kind of stuff as we close out this series on doctrine. Yeah, doctrine includes telling you the truth. I'm sorry. What happens to those who are not the citizens of the kingdom? We don't like to talk about this. But with the exception of Jesus coming back while we're alive and we're taken up in the sky to be with Him, with the exception of that, every one of us are going to die. You realize that? You are going to die. All of us will. And if you die having rejected this offer of grace that God gives you through Jesus Christ. The Bible says that you will face eternity separated from a loving God in a place called hell. We don't like to talk about it today. We love to talk about heaven. 
But I'm telling you, hell is just as real as heaven. Matter of fact, if you'll check out what Jesus talked about, he actually said more about hell than he did about heaven. See, the problem is this. God has a rescue mission that he initiated. God initiated a rescue mission by sending his son into this world to redeem sinners and to completely restore his fallen creation. And in this rescue mission, you are targeted in the rescue mission of God. You are included in this rescue mission that God initiated. But if you say no, I mean, it's the equivalent of you being on a boat, you fall overboard. You're about to drown. Somebody throws you a raft and you just push it away. Without Jesus Christ, you will spend eternity separated from God. God in His grace sends His Son. And you can believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Or you can push it away and be eternally separated from God. To put it in more layman's terms, if you reject Christ as your Savior... There's hell to pay. And for some people that only like to focus on the love of God and you don't think much about the holiness of God, me saying what I just said, you might think, man, that's harsh. It might be, but I'm telling you the truth. For some people that only want to focus on the love of God and not the holiness of God or the fact that God is also judge. You might not want to accept that as truth. But you see, the Bible clearly teaches this. The same Jesus Christ who so lovingly died for you on the cross, that same Jesus Christ will also one day be your judge. Look at what the Bible says, and then we'll close. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus who is to judge the living and the dead and by His appearing in His kingdom. Same Jesus that loved you, same Jesus that died for you, is going to be judged. Next verse. It says, Not even the Father judges anyone, but He has given all judgment to the Son. Same Jesus that loved you, same Jesus that died for you, is also judge. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead. Notice this, the great and small. Some people delude themselves into thinking, I'm different. I'll get by. The great and the small. Standing before the throne, and the books were open. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them. And death and Hades... The hell for now gave up the dead which were in them. 
and they were judged, every one of them, according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire, the place called Gehenna. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Same Bible that has John 3.16. Same Bible that talks about a Savior that loved you enough to die in your place. Same Bible also clearly teaches that one day He will be our judge. And if you do not know Christ as your Savior, one day you will be cast into the lake of fire forever. So you're just trying to scare me today to where I believe in Jesus. No, I'm just trying to tell you the truth. If it scares you, I, I can't help it. What happens to people who are not citizens in the kingdom of God? They spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. The Bible says, He who believes in the Son has eternal life. But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. The Bible says, Then he will also say to those on his left, Depart from me, accursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. You see, it wasn't made for you. It was made for the devil. It was made for his angels. But that's where you go if you reject Christ as your Savior. Jesus illustrated it by talking about a valley outside the walls of Jerusalem, the Valley of Hinnom. The Valley of Hinnom was the garbage dump for the city of Jerusalem. All the refuse, all the, all the dung, all the trash, corpses, dead animals, all was dumped there. There was a constant smoke coming up. The maggots were constantly living there. The worm doesn't die. That's the illustration that Jesus was using. Dogs would fight over those rotting corpses and and gnash their teeth. That's the picture and the image that Jesus gave of hell. And the same loving Jesus that died on a cross so we don't have to go to hell will one day condemn us there if we do not know Christ as our Savior. That's what happens to people who are not citizens of the kingdom of God. So as we close, two serious questions, really three, I guess. First one is this, do you know for sure, I'm talking about absolutely for sure, 100%, no doubt, do you know for sure that you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? If you don't know that based upon some of those scary verses I read, I think I would want to find out a little bit more about Jesus before I left this service today. And in just a moment, when the band comes out to play, I'll be here at the front. We'll have other people available if necessary. But if you've got any doubts as to whether or not you're a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, please come. Probably most of us would say, yeah, I, I know I'm part of the citizen. Uh, I'm a citizen of God's kingdom. I, I know that I received Christ as my Savior. Well, maybe the question for us is this. Are we living like we're a citizen of God's kingdom?
That, that in essence, in chapter 1 of this book that I talked to you about that rocked my world so much, I'm, man, I'm almost afraid the American church needs to tear everything down and start over. Because to a great degree, we've made church about us instead of what Jesus tells us. Do you realize that Jesus, when people came to talk about following him, Jesus tried to get them not to? Do you realize that? He discouraged them. He talked to them about the cost of it. And maybe that's what holds us back. We think oh, it'll cost too much if I, if I live everything the way God wants me to. It'll just cost me too much. I'm telling you, what choice do we have? He bought us. He paid for us with His shed blood. We're supposed to be living underneath the authority of King Jesus. And if He tells you to sell everything you have and leave this nation to go somewhere else, that's exactly what you ought to do. And I'm not telling you that's what he'll tell you, but I am telling you that he unapologetically tells us that we're to serve him wherever we are. So God may intend to use you right where you are in the job that you're in, but you're supposed to be focused on serving Jesus wherever you are. And we have made church and life about us. I don't see where I get to vote. If Jesus says it, I'm just supposed to do it. So are you living underneath the authority of our king? And if not, as a band plays in a moment, maybe you need to pray and say, God, I am sorry I've lived my life myself. God, I'm sorry I have failed to honor you with what you have done for me in Christ. God, help me to honor you with my life. God, help me to be your citizen and you're my king. And help me to listen to you and follow you, whatever, wherever it takes me. Let's pray. Father, to begin with, Lord, I I just bring before you God, anyone that may be here and not know for sure they're part of the kingdom of God. Lord, I pray if there's anyone here that is not in your kingdom, anyone here that is not trusted in your Son, I pray right now you'll extend to them a clear call that they'll understand their only hope is Jesus. Help them to see themselves right now dead in trespasses and sin. Help them to understand the only hope is your grace, your unmerited favor that we can't earn. God, call people to yourself right now that may not know they're part of the kingdom. Father, for the rest of us that have already trusted in Christ, and we're sure, we know, we have the confidence in ourselves that we're part of your kingdom. God, help us to evaluate right now if we're living our lives like citizens of the kingdom. If we're living our lives in a way that honors you. And God, help us right now as believers to to recommit, God, just to to get honest with you and apologize and, and, and say, Father, here's our lives. We want you to... To use it for your glory. God, here's our church. Use it for your glory. 
God, build your kingdom in our lives. And God, help us to expand your kingdom as, as you use us in this world, in this culture around us. And ultimately, one day, you usher in your perfect reign over all creation. And we're there worshiping you for all eternity as our King. For we ask this in the name of Christ. Amen. As a man plays with God speaks to your heart and you wonder, maybe you don't even understand what it means to receive Christ as your Savior, I want to invite you to, to please come. And we'd love to have someone to share with you more about what it means to be a, a Christian. I don't know how many may need to come, but maybe just to kind of plan for that a, a little bit. I, I'm going to be here in the in the middle uh, on on this side. And uh, uh, Matt, if you would kind of come stand up here, if, if someone on that side needs to talk to anyone. Rex, if you don't mind, just kind of come up here on this side, please. And if you don't understand fully what it means to trust Christ as your Savior, and you don't know for sure you're a citizen of that kingdom, why not come today before you leave? And the rest of us, I don't know, maybe you just need to come and find a place to follow up here and cry and weep a little bit and say, God, we've not been the citizens of your kingdom we ought to be. And just ask Him to use us, use us to expand His kingdom. God speaks to your heart as a band plays. We invite you to come. You are listening to Sermon Audio from Dayton Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.